Hello, and welcome back to Full Time with Meg Linehan. This is the new podcast from The Athletic about women's soccer. This is episode two, and now that I've gotten one of these under my belt, we're just going to go right for it because we've got two really good interviews for you today. So first up, we have Crystal Dunn of the North Carolina Courage, and then I'm joined by a fellow writer at The Athletic, Marcus Thompson, who wrote this weekend about that moment between Casey Short and Julie Ertz of the Chicago Red Stars, and I really wanted to get him on the show this week. So just for full disclosure, we're recording the start of this episode in between Wednesday's matches of the Challenge Cup. Uh, As we learned last week, things change day to day in this league. So just as a heads up, if major news happens by tomorrow morning, it's not my fault. Uh, We're now three actual game days into the actual tournament, the Challenge Cup. And while there's plenty of places that you can find game results, I did want to flag one major piece of news about the tournament the television ratings. So the opener between Portland and North Carolina drew 572,000 viewers on CBS, a number which doesn't actually include the additional streaming from CBS All Access yet. But for the coveted 18 to 49 demo, the game pulled 178,000, which is actually more than the entire viewership for the 2019 NWSL Championship via the ESPN networks, which was 166,000. So definitely some extremely good and positive news for the NWSL to kick off this tournament. Also in NWSL news, they released an updated statement policy about playing the national anthem before matches. Obviously, this has been one of the major storylines of the tournament so far. Players are now allowed the option to stay in the locker room during the playing of the national anthem or stay out on the field. Um, We're going to have a lot more on this once we talk to Marcus, but As part of the release, NWSL Commissioner Lisa Baird released a statement. Part of that read, the NWSL stands behind every player, official, and staff member. Kneel on the field. Stand with your hand over over your heart. Honor your feelings in the privacy of the locker room or at midfield. So the the discussion is uh, guaranteed to continue, but that's the latest on that front. And this also already feels like essentially a lifetime ago, but last Thursday, Australia and New Zealand won the bid for the 2023 World Cup. And I just also want to give a very quick shout out to Anno Dong, who you have probably seen on Twitter this past week. She's been a part of the bid efforts, but she has just really been grinding for years to get women's soccer the coverage it deserves from Australia, around the world, worked for FIFA last summer during the World Cup. Um, she's encouraged me for years to pursue this. So um, I'm just really hopeful that I will see her in Australia or New Zealand, wherever they're actually starting the tournament at the opening game in a couple of years. First, super happy to be joined by Crystal Dunn on today's episode. So we actually recorded this last week before the tournament started. She was already in Utah training um, before the World Cup. But obviously, this this interview became super timely in a way that I kind of expected, but didn't quite expect it to really blow up quite the way that it did. So you might have already heard one of her answers or seen that video on social media. But um, the full interview is really great. We dive into a lot of topics beyond just, fortunately, the national anthem. So here's Crystal. So you're in Utah now, right? You're you're in the hotel. You're in the bubble. Just kind of curious as to what the last, you know, a couple of days have been like, what the experience is like so far for you. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, the whole preparation for the Challenge Cup has been challenging uh, in in many ways. You know, I think physically uh, just finding the right balance between pushing yourself to be as fit as possible, but also not doing anything silly and causing an injury, you know. So I think each team has had to probably struggle with that, just finding the right balance for the players to, you know, push themselves, but also uh, be precautious in, in every way possible. 
Um, I also think mentally it has taken a toll on a lot of us. Um, you know, you're trying to enjoy getting back on the field. You're trying to find this new sense of normal, but you also understand you're in the middle of a, a global pandemic. So I think um, I've definitely struggled one day to another. You know, I'll be feeling great. I'll be like so, you know, excited about going to training. And then I'm kind of like, man, I just, it's hard to be so completely excited and all the way bought in at all times, you know, because you just want to remain safe. You want, you know, your health to be top priority and your teammates and all the staff members involved. So. Yeah. I, I think the mental health part has been a really big thing. I, I talked to, you know, Everbush, uh, you know, the, the players association, Becca Root, the players association, and, you know, obviously in any sports league, there are always concerns about physical health, but I think that there has been more of a focus on mental health. You know, are there resources available to you from the league, from your team, from, from your teammates that you, that you're able to take advantage of? Um, you know, I can't really say from the league, there's been like a whole lot. I think I've always learned that I need to take a step back and really assess myself individually. I think I always encourage all my teammates and, and uh, all my players and teammates on other teams to just kind of take a step back and really assess where you are. I think it's really hard when you're a part of a team, you want to uh, put the team first. And it's so easy to fall into the idea that, you know, everyone seems to be doing fine. I must be doing fine. But I think in this um, situation, I think COVID has really taught each person to really assess themselves and, um, you know, make their own decisions. And, you know, obviously finding out that, you know, players are opting out of not going to the Challenge Cup. And I think that that's completely acceptable. And that's amazing that they feel so strongly about something and they want to make that decision and that it's, it's my job to support them. Um, and I hope that they support my decisions as well, um, whatever it may be. So I just feel like, um, you know, this, this time period has really been uh, challenging for each person individually. And I think I've always been able to really reach out to whoever just to, you know, vent, just to tell them how I'm feeling, you know, like I said, one day might be great. And I might be feeling so excited about everything. And then, you know, come Tuesday, I'm like, Calmer, like I'm, I'm not feeling so hot, you know. So I think it's just important to really assess, and one day to another can be completely different. So, have you brought anything with you to Utah that you're like, this is my my self care thing? Or I, I saw the video of you trying to pack that giant oh, duffel bag. Oh my god, Mary <laughs> just putting on blast. So I didn't bring a lot, but we're here for potentially a month. So I'm like, I right. gotta make sure I'm not leaving anything behind, you know. And it's yeah. not like again, you can't go to a Target, can't go to any places. So. Mm -hmm better to pack extra than uh, to yeah. not have anything. Um, I think for me, like I am so big on journaling. I think as long as I kind of have uh, my book to kind of write things down and really, you know, monitor how I'm feeling one day to another, that's kind of my level of comfort. And that's what I kind of cling to. So yeah. uh, for me, again, it's just, it's, you know, writing down how I feel, how do I help the situation? Because there's a lot going on where you just are not in control of everything, you know? And I think for me, it's just, finding that way to be in control of all the things that I can control, like, you know, making sure I'm following protocol and, and keeping myself accountable and holding my teammates accountable. But there are things that you just can't uh, control. You, I can't control other teams and what they're doing. I'm just hoping that everyone in this bubble is bought in and, and really making smart decisions. And um, I just think for me, it's just monitoring and, and like I said, holding everyone accountable. Yeah. Have the conversations changed, obviously. So we're recording this uh, well before this will actually air. But, you know, we've we've had major news about this tournament. Orlando, you know, my first interview for this podcast was Allie Krieger. We recorded literally less than 24 hours before the news dropped mm -hmm. that the team had to withdraw from the tournament. Like, have the conversations changed? Like, has it been kind of that gut check of like, no, this is 
this is a little more serious than like we already knew it was serious, but it it went from a, a 10 out of 10 to an 11 out of 10. Yes. I mean, of course, everyone knows hearing the news about Orlando has changed a lot of people's perspective. And that's a good thing. You know, that makes you feel like, you know, you've already thought this virus was severe, but it's it's extra severe now because, you know, uh, people close to you have been affected or, or players in the league have been affected. And, um, you know, you feel for the team, you um, you know, at this point, I think everyone realized that there's more than just soccer, you know, and it, 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 it was a really tough decision for, I think, a lot of players after hearing what happened to Orlando to continue having enthusiasm going towards uh, the Challenge Cup. And I think, um, you know, that's normal. Obviously, if you didn't care, you didn't feel anything, that meant that you really are just not afraid of COVID, which I hope to God no one is going about that way. But um, I just think... Um, you know, I'm really hopeful. I think I can't really put it in any way. I think I am always concerned about COVID. It's it's always on my mind. I've, you know, struggled a little bit in preseason thinking about it all the time. But I think knowing that my team has done everything possible, we've had negative tests this whole way through, I think, you know, gives me comfort. I think things would be different if I kind of landed into preseason and a player here got COVID and, and mm-hmm. another player, I'd be like, whoa, I don't think we're we're set up for this. But I think knowing that no other team has had a positive test and obviously what happened to Orlando is, is really unfortunate and, you know, it, it, it's eye opening. But I think, however, I'm very hopeful that, you know, we're here, we landed, we got our first series of testing done. And obviously if they all come back positive, I mean, whoa, rewind, <laughs> negative. Um, they, um, then I think that that will give a lot of people comfort and um, in, in them wanting to go forward with the tournament. Yeah. When it comes to the tournament itself, right, the fact that we're we're in a tournament situation rather than this sort of standard 24 game regular season. I'm just kind of curious as to, you know, you've you've lived that tournament life before, right? Like we we both survived France last summer. Yes, my experience in France was slightly (laughs) different than yours. But, you know, you've you've lived through the tournament, the, the grind of a tournament, which is very different from the grind of a regular season. Both have their own challenges you know, have there been adjustments in terms of training, not just maybe for the cards, but for you personally? Um, I think training, I would have to say not a whole lot. I think, again, like I stated before, just really finding the balance of pushing, pushing, pushing versus just saying like, you know what, this is going to be a lighter training. We got to get your, you go, you old legs back. We have to uh, regain the freshness, you know? Um, but I do think once the tournament does start, things will change. You know, I think, you know, like you said, I live the tournament life knowing that you go into the tournament with one plan and things can look completely different once game one comes around. So mm-hmm. I am preparing to, uh, you know, be a big role, obviously, on this team. But I also think that each team is going to have to lean on uh, bench players a whole lot more than they probably expected. So um, in preseason, I tried my best to really just encourage players that might not have played a professional game yet. Yeah. And I think it's important that uh, me being their teammate and pushing them uh, allows them to gain confidence because this is probably going to be a situation where they're going to be needed and they're going to be needed to play real minutes. And um, it's important that they they have that confidence going into this tournament. Yeah, that brings me, I'm always so fascinated by the courage, the mentality of the courage. I feel like, you know, we've also run into each other at pretty much every single NWSL championship for the past <laughs> few years, right? So <laughs> there is always that vibe though, of just like, this is our business. Like, you know, like there's the motto from Paul Riley every Mm -hmm. single year. This year's apparently looks like it might be burn the boats once Mm -hmm. we're in Utah. That's his (laughs) new like quote that he really likes. But 
In terms of bringing new players in who are going to have to play more significant minutes, like I feel like, you know, North Carolina cards starting 11, like we had a very good sense of it over the past couple of years. But how do you transfer that mentality, right? That kind of stems from this original core that played in Western New York together, that won mm-hmm. a championship together, and then bring it forward to 2020 in the in a very weird time in the middle of a pandemic. Yes. You know, how weird does that time. translate? <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, to be fair, like not much has changed. You know, I think, you know, when you have a strong culture, you have a group that holds each other accountable and, you know, no one places themselves above the team. Like in the middle of a pandemic, you still feel like nothing has really changed. And I think that's really cool. I think, you know, going into this tournament, we've made a lot of jokes that, you know, no, it's no surprise. We're going out playing the same way that we normally play. And, Mm -hmm. and, um, and I, I kind of love that. I love that we're just, you know, basically rolling into a new year, but, you know, we left 2019 playing the same way that we're going to go into this, this challenge cup playing, you know? So I think it's, um, it's really great. It's been really special to be a part of this team, just knowing that I personally feel like I could just play freely. I can do my thing and um, everyone's so individually talented, but yet as a group, it's, it's most important that the group gets the job done and not just one individual player, um, feeling like the weight is on, is only on their shoulders. Yeah, I think that is kind of, you know, we, we ran a lot of historical numbers at NWSL in terms of like, what is the best historical women's pro team? And it was just like, every time you would try to break down the courage, it was just like, oh, it's just every single time it's the courage, every <laughs> single time. So it is, it is truly a wild, I, I do find it really interesting. I, do you ever... I feel like you must be used to this with the U S national team of having that target on your back, right? Like every other team in the league, I mean, Portland's out here redoing their roster, right. With the the end goal of Mm -hmm. keeping up with you, not even necessarily like beating, just like, can we maintain pace with the courage? What is it like to be that, you know, I don't want to say like public enemy number one, in (laughs) but like there is definitely like courage versus everyone else. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, pressure is, you know, a luxury. I think going into each game, we have the pressure of feeling like, you know, everybody wants to beat us. Everyone's going to put out their best lineup. Everyone's going to maybe even change things about their game to match us. And, you know, that's a huge compliment. And, um, you know, I'd be lying if I said it's, it's, it's not stressful or I don't think a lot about the idea that there is a huge target on my back first, you know, on North Carolina and also on the U.S. uh, national team. But I think it brings out the best in you. You know, I think going into every single game, I feel like I need to be at my best. Uh, Each training, I'm always trying to be, you know, the very best player on the field. And it's not easy to do. You know, you have a thousand trainings each year and it's so hard mentally every single day to be like, I got to hype myself up. I can't be complacent. I can't do what I just did yesterday and think that that's going to be okay today. So um, I'm super hard on myself at all times. I love to challenge myself. I get upset when people beat me in, you know, 5v5, 7v7. It like, you know, hurts me to my core when I lose a game. So I think, Mm -hmm. and the rest of the girls on my team are like that. So I think I know for a fact that we are not complacent ever. And I think it just makes things easier from one game to another, knowing that we're we're never going to stop growing and wanting to learn and be better. So um, each team that plays against us also has to do that. So uh, it's a challenge for everybody. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, I wanted to shift gears on you a little bit. Um, a couple weeks ago, so we we spoke uh, on the roundtable that mm-hmm. I did with a whole bunch of U.S. national team players about, you know, basically the protests, police brutality, feeling safe within NWSL, and and you specifically dropped this extra statement on 
Twitter about how we talk about black players in this game, which has been a known issue for a pretty long time. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think we, you know, unaffectionately call it the pace and power yes. discussion. I'm just kind of curious following up, like, I think it made a huge splash. I immediately brought it back to NWSL Media Association. I had some conversations with people in the league, um, people at U.S. Soccer, like, how do we, from our, you know, like, I have a slightly different amount of power than maybe someone on a broadcast, right? Mm-hmm. But like, even within our world, like, how do we change and ensure that people are are being given the tools and that we make sure that we, we avoid this in our coverage. Um, but just kind of curious to see like what, what has come out of that statement? If people have reached out to you, if, yeah. if you've heard encouraging things, hopefully. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think uh, I have a lot of conversations uh, recently with coaches because I think it really starts at the youth level. You know, when you're, you're training young black athletes, it's important to encourage them to, uh, you know, use multiple tools that they may have and, and, encourage them to develop their cognitive abilities. I think for so long, it's kind of like, yeah, you're fast and you're, you're strong. So like, that's, that's what you are. And they, and that's what they're told that they are throughout their whole career, you know? And I think, um, you know, it's just a stereotype. I think I, I personally wanted to put that statement out because I think it uh, speaks a lot to me and how I feel like I have tried to develop as a player over the course of my career. I've always wanted to develop and, and be the best technically because I think there's just too much always placed on, uh, you know, Crystal's fast, she's speedy, she beats players this way. But, you know, I am always working on my game and always trying to add things to my game. And um, I just want the media to be able to, not even just for me, just for all players, all black players, and especially in the NWSL to, you know, be seen for all of the qualities that they have and not just mm-hmm. label them before they make a play or, or, or kind of just shine light on one aspect of their, of their game. And I think, it's not just in the NWSL, obviously. It's, it's like you said, it's, it's been a conversation for so long. And um, my conversations with, with coaches have been really good. I think they've been um, receptive to everything I've said. And um, they're going to go back to the drawing board and, and, and work on it. And I think that's the, the best thing that's come out of these conversations so far is just people wanting to learn and wanting to educate mm-hmm. themselves, you know, and, and change is not overnight. And I know that. And I think as long as someone's willing to say, hey, I didn't notice this before and I know I can get better. I know I can, I can implement this more in my trainings or in my daily life. I think that's the biggest takeaway from it all. Yeah. I think, I mean, we've already had a whole bunch of conversations just in terms of coverage and, you know, like I think we've also had a lot of conversations about like, okay, there's, you know, team statements versus like what's actually happening. So I think Mm -hmm. everybody's kind of going through that right at the moment, but just kind of curious as to, Obviously, NWSL, first league back, even if mainstream media outlets don't always remember that. But we have <laughs> we have a chance here to to have a bigger platform, maybe, for the NWSL um, to have a, a slightly, you know, at least maybe more eyeballs on women's soccer. Mm-hmm. And just kind of curious as to, you know, obviously your statement has, has worked. I feel like players have really stepped up in this front, but, you know, it's clear that there's not going to be a lot of pushback from NWSL if protests happen on the field, but mm-hmm. just kind of curious as to what you you're thinking about with the platform this month. Yeah. I mean, I am still kind of back and forth as to what I think personally I'm going to do. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I want to make the biggest impact and I want to help keep the conversation going. So um, I also want to include my teammates. And I think uh, as a group, we're definitely going to get together and, just gauge where everyone's at, where everyone's comfort level is at. And I think my teammates are so supportive of the cause and the movement. Um, But I think it's just about 
helping everyone feel like they can be a part of it, you know? And I think, um, you know, I don't want the story to be, why did such and such do something and, and the other teammates didn't, you know, I mm-hmm. think I don't want the, the message to get lost in translation. I want it to be a powerful statement and I want everyone to stand unified. And, you know, it'd be great if obviously all teams uh, competing in the Challenge Cup can get on the same page. But I, of course, know that my top priority right now is really getting, you know, the courage together and figuring out the best way to move forward on that. So uh, I am excited about Saturday because I think one, like you said, first lead back and it's going to be uh, really inspiring to just, you know, young girls being able to watch us play again and, and seeing us on TV again. But I also think it's it's a great platform for us to keep promoting this this message and, and fighting for uh, racial equality. So uh, before we, we were talking, I, I sent you some topics about, you know, what we wanted to hit in this interview. But I was thinking before we, we actually got you on, like, I just remember sitting in a gym with you at Harvard Stadium where the Breakers used to play. It was the summer of 2015. And I mean, when I think about like definitive NWSL, like one season performances, you in 2015 is like, it's like you, Kim Little, Lauren, Chaney, like <laughs> that's, that's the order in my brain. And just remember like you taking the time to sit for 15 minutes, just like we're doing now and, and talk through your career. And obviously like that summer in 2015 was a very different time in your mm-hmm. life than what summer 2020 is like, but I'm just kind of curious as over the last five years, like there's been a world cup, there's been some NWSL championships. Like when you look back at that player that summer, like what, where, where's the, are you, are you really happy with how far you've come? Like, I just, I don't know. Like, I feel like Crystal Dunn, like I see you on ESPN now representing the league. Like, and I just think about that summer. Yeah everybody's been growing, right? The league has been growing. You've mm-hmm. been growing. The media coverage has been growing. And I just, it's really interesting to put it in that like big five-year view. Yeah. I mean, I'm a different person since 2015, not completely, but I'm just so much more easygoing. I was, you know, so stressed going into 2015, you know, feeling like making the world cup roster was like the only thing that mattered, you know? And I, mm-hmm. I lost a sense of myself. I lost who I wanted to be as a player. I didn't believe in myself. I didn't think that I, you know, was playing the way that I knew I could play, you know? So there was a whole lot of doubt. And of course, trying to compete for a spot on that roster was already going to be challenging, but throw in all the other emotions that I was going through. It just, you know, looking back, I was like, I was a wreck, you know, I probably tried to keep it cool, but inside I was like, I don't know who this person is. And I think, 2015 was just a special year because it started off so rocky. I was like, bummer, I missed out on this, this, you know, dream that I always wanted to be a part of. And, you know, I thought that that was the end for me. I was like, all right, cool. Like I need to, you know, focus on something new. Obviously I'm going to play in the league, but who knows how I'm going to play. And, you know, I wasn't even believing in myself to even do anything in the league, you know? And then, you know, by the end of 2015, I was like, this is the crystal I know. I can be and who I know I should always be at all times. And, you know, I was just filled with confidence. I, I, I got that from my coach. I got it from my teammates. Um, I got it from my now husband who saw me as this player who was like, you're freaking good. Like, dang, bummer. You missed out on the world cup, but like, you're awesome. You know? And I just think since then, I just, I've learned to really take things in stride and, and focus on the things that I can control. I can always step into a training and try to bring laughter, encourage my teammates and, and, be the best version of myself so that I can always push my teammates along the way. But I think winning in 2019, 
the first thing that I thought about was, wow, these last four years have been incredible. You know, I didn't even think about, you know, the months leading into the World Cup. I, it took me all the way back to four years ago and, and where I feel like I started and where I, I gained that confidence and found myself again. So, um, you know, I, I just, yeah, I mean, success is great. Obviously winning the World Cup was an incredible achievement, but it's kind of like you go back to the drawing boards. This year was supposed to be an Olympics. I kind of mm-hmm. fast forward, you were like, all right, World Cup, yay, party, party, party. Mm-hmm. And you're like, all right, Olympics, yeah, Olympics, yeah. you know? So um, that's just how I've always stayed, you know, present and in the moment. I don't like to look too far ahead because you just don't know what can happen. I, I like to focus on the moments that are right in front of me and focus on those moments so that it can best prepare me for the future. And I think in 2015, yeah. I was so focused on making the team five, six months in, in advance that I, I didn't know who I wanted to be in that moment. And, um, you know, and I'm, I'm happy in the long run that I yeah. go through that because, yeah, I think things worked out and, and fell in my favor, but I had to work at it. You know, I, I had to wake up and decide to be better than I was. So, um, yeah, 2015, great times. <laughs> <laughs> we've all we've all come so far I just I think about me interviewing back then I'm like I don't I was a like I just remember like sweating and being like I don't I don't know what I'm doing uh this is Crystal Dunn you were (laughs) so you're exactly right I mean the league has come a long way I mean just the the resources we had in 2015 to now I'm like oh dear we had like probably two staff members and like everybody else having to like carry balls, do the equipment. They're like, Mm -hmm. I'm just someone who works in the front office. And now you have me like carry the balls. Like, I don't know, you know? So I do think that's incredible that, you know, you as well feel that way that the league has come such a long way because it's important. It's important to the girls. And and for me personally, 2015, the way I gained my confidence was through playing in the NWSL and getting my chance back with the national team after that. So I think it's a great, it's a great pathway for players to be seen, uh, just like this Challenge Cup. Hopefully players ball out and, and they're seen and they get that opportunity. Yeah, perfect. I think that's really everything I had for, me, for you. So thank you so cool. much for, for joining us. I super appreciate it. Hopefully Utah treats you well. Hopefully it's not too cold at night. I don't really know what the weather's uh, like there at all. You know, to be fair, I've only had one night and it's been probably 80s, but no humidity. Okay. I will take it all over right. North Carolina weather uh, any day. <laughs> I know. I was there for ICC last summer and I was just like, I no, can't do yeah. it. Can't do it. No. So awesome. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much, Crystal. Super thank appreciate you. it. All right. Good luck. Thank you. Uh, thanks to Crystal for speaking to us, especially, you know, she was settling in over in Utah, packing a million sweatshirts, which apparently has come in handy for Utah's weather. I think everyone was expecting heat off the bat and instead it's been like 60 and raining, so hopefully she is uh, enjoying the fruits of her packing efforts. And next up, we have Marcus Thompson, who, as I said before, um, he's one of my coworkers. He's one of our lead columnists at The Athletic, someone I talk to on Slack a lot. Um, he also just interviewed LL Cool J on our Instagram account, so honestly, this is just like a real downgrade for him, but we appreciate his time all the same, and we have a really great conversation with Marcus about really a whole bunch of stuff, but also just his history in women's soccer, which I love talking to people about. All right. Okay. So like, even before we get into what we're actually going to talk about, I want to hear your women's soccer memories. Cause we were immediately talking about Christine Lilly merchandise that we both. Oh, had. so, so when I started in, uh, I got my first job in 1999 at the Contra Costa times, which, you know, is the Bay area, Walnut Creek area, hotbed of like women's soccer. Uh, but 
my first thing I handled spring sports. Like that was my thing. And believe it or not, Meg, this was at a time where high school staffs was was it, right? <laughs> we had 15 people and you had to work your way up to basketball and football. So I started on women's water polo and that's when I learned about soccer. So I was covering like Pleasanton Rage, like they would have the Snickers tournament. Yeah. You know, uh, uh, Marcy Ward was the star at the time in, in the Bay. So I covered a lot of um, a lot of soccer, me and my good friend, Jennifer Starks, like it was it was just me and her. So we covered a lot of soccer. And this is the this is the time of obviously the Women's World Cup. Right. So previously I had interned at Newsday in New York. Mm-hmm. So my first assignment, yo, I was so groupian, by the way. My first assignment was to write a profile of Sarah Whalen. Nice. Uh, because she was from Long Island. And they played at, what was it? I forgot what it was called, but they played at Giant Stadium. Oh, yeah, yeah. The, the women's team. So mm-hmm. it, was like, it was like a big deal, but that, that was my lane. Like, that's how I kind of cut my teeth. And I remember I got to um, the Bay Area. I went back home and we started covering soccer. And I remember, like... You know, you're not supposed to do stuff like this, but Mia Hamm and Christine Lilly did an autograph signing at a Safeway down the street from the job. So we got in line. <laughs> <laughs> me and my me and my coworker Jennifer Stark, my friend, we got in line and we like got our autographs. Yeah, you know what I'm saying. For yeah. like, Mia Hamm is in the building. <laughs> like, what are you talking about? Yeah, I was making twenty nine thousand dollars. Like, whatever. Yeah, I make more than that off the autograph. I'm I'm not about to pass up. <laughs> A Mia Hamm autograph, you know, because I'm a journalist. That's what I was thinking at the time. Right. right? But so, you know, we got our stuff and but that's kind of how I really uh, I came up like that. Then uh, I know you remember all this stuff, but, you know, Brandy Chastain was from the Bay. Mm-hmm. So she was obviously a big star uh, and the Woosa started. Yep. You know what I'm saying? The women's uh United Soccer. Bay Area Cyber Rays. Yeah. So we were on the Cyber Rays. Like, so that's what I covered. I covered the Cyber Rays. Um, It was big. Soccer in the Bay Area was really big. I covered Tracy Ham. Yeah. Tracy Ham, you know, she was at uh, Camp Alindo when I I covered. Like, it it was a really big deal. Water polo and women's soccer were big. Way bigger than men's, by the way. Mm -hmm. So I'm cut from the cloth of men's soccer is trash like nobody even watched that <laughs> you know what i'm saying like we just had no interest in men's soccer. it was all about women's soccer in yeah. the bay so that's my first three years as a professional journalist i covered a whole lot of soccer yeah and you know as you know once you um especially covering high schools and stuff that, like that's at a time where people are appreciative mm-hmm. of being interviewed like they're happy you're there yep and so we just felt like we were covering celebrities and we were. Yeah. Like we it didn't feel like to us we were covering women's soccer. It was like, yo, are you serious? <laughs> like I'm talking to Brianna Scurry right now. Right, like right, right. <laughs> you yeah. know what I'm saying? So yeah. it was like it was a big deal for us because we were covering high school soccer and then you get to cover this other level. So yeah. that's that's really where I cut my teeth. And then um I started covering basket. Then I got promoted to high school basketball. You know what I'm saying? So yeah. I did fall away from the sport at that point. But like, you know, once you in, you yeah. in. Like once yeah. you hooked, you hook. Yeah. And uh, then, you I, know, I, we I, started working together and I was like, hey, Marcus, I'm going to pull you into my orbit. <laughs> Absolutely. I, I, I really 
part of why I do the Sunday randomness is because I don't, I like to write about all kinds of stuff. I, I'd rather tell stories than anything. Mm-hmm. So, and as you know, good stories aren't exclusive to sports. Right. If you have people, you'll have good stories. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, I, uh, I hate to do the whole father of a daughter thing, but like I have a 13 year old daughter and I, like, I used to be one of those people who were like, I mean, I was practically a WNBA season ticket holder, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I was at Sacramento Monarch games. I was at Stanford games. And I would, like, people would be like, why are you uncovering? I'm like, man, can y'all show up? I was frustrated that nobody supported. Yeah. So, I would make the argument of, well, I mean, nobody supports. Like, I know because I'm out here. I'm, I'm like, a part of this audience and I see how limited it is. Like, so, uh, so I used to make the argument, you can't complain about coverage if you don't actually support. But then when you have a daughter, like, you know, not to, not as if I was awakened by my daughter to this whole thing, but it heightens everything. It's mm-hmm. like, wait a second, man. Like, this is, this needs to be a public trust. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, this needs to be like, hold on, hold <laughs> on. So I, I used to be very frustrated at that, like at, at this idea that we just couldn't get people to pay attention. Mm-hmm. And I always felt like, you know, I'm way more humble now than I used to be, but I felt like I was the best writer ever. So if I wrote this women's soccer story, I was like, well, y'all just don't care. Because if I write, that's how I used to think, <laughs> like, y'all just don't care. Yeah. Like, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So it, I feel I felt like it wasn't the quality of the content. It was just a matter of people didn't care. Yeah. So I stopped like... It's like, yeah, you know what? The people who care, care. The people who don't, don't. And I just didn't really feel like it was fruitful to be trying to win people over to something that I already knew was great. Yeah. You know, it was almost like, man, screw y'all. Yeah, I, <laughs> you know I've definitely like, gone through that mood uh, a number of times. I do. There is like a real divide between like, okay, is this a productive fight I want to have? Or yeah, yeah, like, am I going to yeah. be able to convince you? Or are you, have you already made your mind up and I just need to like move on into a different space? But I do want to, I want to get are. into your column um, from this weekend. Obviously, we were, we were talking that night um, about what you were going to write about. And, you know, we were talking about. You mean nat- when you assigned me work? <laughs> that? Yeah. yeah. Gotcha. That's my, that's my new role as uh, shadow editor of the NWSL coverage. But, you know, we, we were talking and I was like, yeah, I think I'm going to write about the anthem. And it had only been the first game so far. Alexi Lawless yeah. is out here tweeting. Like, I think that's going to be the major takeaway of the day. And then the second game happens. And I reached out to you and I was like, Marcus, this is now something that I think really needs to be in your realm. And I'm just kind of curious, like, watching the video from Chicago Red Stars um, during the anthem, like your first reaction to it and then how you approached writing about it. You know, it was, you know, when you first sent me the uh, the link, I didn't click it. I just saw the photo. And so I was like, oh, wow. All right. That's pretty cool. And I was initially thinking, yeah, you should write that. Mm-hmm. You know, that's what I was thinking in my mind. I was like, yo, you should write that. Like, because I am of the mind that like only black people, we ain't the only ones who can write about this. Other voices do matter, mm-hmm. right? But then when I watched it, I, under, I understood why you said that. When I clicked the video, I was like, oh, yo, like, yo, this is different. And so initially I felt for, like, I felt Casey. Like, I felt that. Yo, in this in this pandemic time, you know how when you're about to cry and you get that nose burn? Mm-hmm. I, I, I felt that nose burn so many times during this whole pandemic. Like, it's just so emotional. So I felt like I was like, oh, wow. 
like she feels the weight, like she feels what we feel. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like I, I was like, I know exactly what that is. And then, uh, you know, watching Julie, like Julie really stood out to me because I was just thinking like, yo, that's how you respond. And the big problem with me throughout this whole thing, even since back when Cap, right, when Cap first took a knee, it was like, I mean, yeah, you can parse through how he handled it. Like, you can talk about all that stuff. But here's the point, Drew Brees. Your teammate is hurting. Like, y'all talk all this brotherhood stuff. Like, here's what the matter is. Your teammate is hurting. And in most other situations when your teammate is hurting, like, you kind of give them a little leash as to how that plays out. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, if I understand you going through something, I'm not going to exactly hold you to this list of decorum, right? Mm -hmm. I'm going to understand that you're going through something. And out of that, the reaction has to be taken in that context. But it's like, for Cap, it had to be, well, you have to do this, 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 this. And forget about the fact that part of his kneeling was doing that, was being accommodating. So the frustrating part for me was this kind of faux chemistry that sports tends to prop up, right? Mm-hmm. This whole we're brothers and blah, and all of it. I don't say all of it is fake. Let me stop being hyperbolic. <laughs> but a lot of it is disingenuous, right? And that was one of the moments where it's like, I don't care what you're saying. This, this dude is literally watching people die in the streets, having a reaction. And your answer is to critique that instead of deal with the reaction. Mm-hmm. So when I saw Julie do that, I'm like, there's the answer right there. there. There's the beginning of the answer, at least. Like, that's how we start by recognizing somebody's hurting. Like, I mean, in any other situation, mm-hmm. like, that's what you would do. Like, if you just see somebody crying, it's not like. Yo, you got too much snot. Like, I don't want to deal with you. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I only help you if you got that pretty single tear. Right. Like, ain't nobody doing that. Yeah. It's like, are you okay? What's going on? Are mm-hmm. you hurting? Like, mm-hmm. not, like, so the 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 care that was, that, I was, like, really proud of Julie. Like, yeah. I was like, yo, that's, that's the type of leadership that we need. And uh, for me, it just felt like, of course, like, of course, women would know how to do this. Yeah. Right. Of course, women would have as as it has been like women would have the the wherewithal, like the the full toolbox to deal with something that is so manifold. Right. Like you need a full toolbox mm-hmm. to deal with this. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? You can't have this limited paradigm. Right. You got to deal with the full the weight of all of humanity. <laughs> yeah. And of course, women would be able to handle like that. Like, that's what women's been doing for all of humanity. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, yeah. we all got mothers and yeah. grandmothers. We know what it is. Yeah. I'm just kind of curious as to, so it's not just also limited to that moment. After the game, you know, everyone is kind of looking for reaction. It took both Julian Casey and then also there's another player that's kind of in the mix for this. In Rachel Hill, who was standing next to them, had her hand on actually Julie's hand, not Casey. But there, there's like two very like similar reactions happening at the same time. And there's also, I think, probably roughly like 17 different conversations that are all happening at the same time around the same moment. And and during all of this, I was harassing you in Slack, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but also it's good for me because like I'm also talking through That's it so in, in real time, yeah. right? Like because also... I mean, one of the things that I then ended up writing about the day after is 
how did this moment get used in league materials, right? Like they put it in the highlight packages. After, it's literally like sponsored by Verizon, Casey Short yeah. weeping into Julia Ertz's arms, right? Like, is that an appropriate use of this moment? Yeah. I felt like your your piece was very much a call to witness, right? Like, I mean, you literally are using the words like, watch her, watch, watch her, yeah. watch them, right? And I think that's a very different thing than what the league ultimately did with it. But then, so we, we fast forward a couple of days and then I'm sending you in Slack um, the statements that players are releasing. Yeah, yeah. So Jace, uh, Julian Casey release one and then Rachel Hill releases one. And obviously these two things are, are doing two very different things, but just kind of wondering if we could break down those two statements and what your main takeaways were from, let's start with Julian Casey, which was a joint thing of like, this is our narrative, right? You know, they, they say yeah. we're praying. There's a reference to first Corinthians, which my wife is a, a theology professor. So I literally sent her the statement and I said, please give me the, the Bible breakdown of what they're, they're trying to do here. But yeah, um, yeah, yeah. just kind of curious as to what your, your thoughts were on theirs. First, I like that they did the joint thing, right? I like. I like that format. And the revelation to me was that their relationship pre preceded the moment. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? So there was something there. And I do think that's important, right? Uh part of part of the issue that we're talking about is just simply ending dehumanization. You know what I'm saying? And the and one of the ways to do that is to like do it before you get to that moment, right? To feel like somebody is human enough to have these relationships. So uh, I, I really thought that was I thought that was a good by them. She, you know, Casey, it felt like did most of the talking mm -hmm. in that sense. You know, the talking in that sense in a, in a message, but it was a unified front. I I don't know. I could say I was very. It was very obvious to me there wasn't much like Rachel Hill support. Like, mm -hmm. yeah, <laughs> so it's... I was like, whoa, oh, that that's interesting. You yeah. know, like it's really uh, a one eighty, so, right, from yeah, twenty sixteen, so... especially in the NWSL fandom, yeah. but. It really has been a complete 180 of there's much more pressure on people who are standing right now. No question. No question. And I, I just like the focus of it. I, the the revelation of the previous relationship and the revelation of their conversations that are happening, right? Like, mm -hmm. you know, they're happening, they're talking about it. And I just feel like that that's the model for how this is going to work. Mm -hmm. Like even agreement isn't necessarily like the end game, but the value in enough to have the conversation, right? And to and to take all parties, which is why when I saw like when I saw Rachel's statement, I kind of needed that. I mean, as you know, like I told you, I felt like it was a little unfair to Rachel. Mm -hmm. Um uh it it actually reminded me of like when my when my father passed and my wife didn't know what to say to me. She didn't know how to talk to me, mm -hmm. right? And so when I saw Rachel, I was thinking maybe she just didn't know how to be there for her. You know, maybe that wasn't an expertise of hers. Maybe she didn't know, and she like I don't I don't know what to do. Should I get down and froze and put her hand on her shoulder? Mm -hmm. uh, maybe she was trying to create, you know, to to serve two masters in a sense, right? I want to be loyal to my teammate but i also want to be loyal to you know my country in the way that i see loyalty right mm -hmm. uh 
the, the part that, that kind of threw me off was when she threw in the military. I was like, ah, oh, come on, Rachel. Because <laughs> you had me until you said military. Right. Like, this has nothing to do with the military. Yeah. It has nothing to do with the military. And part of that is, I think, the issue is that we have made sports. When I say we, I mean sports mm-hmm. has made the anthem and the flag synonymous almost exclusively to military. You know what I'm saying? Yes. Like, it's almost... Like, literally, we don't need to put stripes on people anymore. Just put the flag, right? right? Because now this whole idea of America and American and patriotic is not even connected to the flag no more. Like, the flag is just, yo, honor the troops. Like, wait a second. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, no, you it's... know who teachers represent the flag, too. You know what I'm saying? Right. Like, right. Like, yeah. Like, there's a lot of people represent the flag. But it's... it's so, so, so you would never hear somebody say, like... Man, I want to stand for the flag. I feel like it's my duty to stand for the flag because I stand with teachers. Like right. nobody, <laughs> nobody says that, right? Like the flag is just this military. Like, no, when did this happen? That's not what it is. Right. If you go have the thing at all, like, can it represent the whole thing? Mm-hmm. So that's where I was a little irritated with Rachel yeah, on that one. Yeah. Come on, Rachel. Yeah, that's sorry. Valid. That's valid. I do think like <laughs> the other thing that I really want to talk to you about is like those conversations that. Every single, it's not just Chicago, right? Every single team yeah, in the league yeah. is having these very long, detailed conversations with each other. And I feel like the same process is, it's not just happening in locker rooms, right? Like we're having this exact same conversation at yes. the athletic, right? Like the yeah. fact that we have essentially these employee groups within the company, like we have one for women, we have one that we call the boondocks, right? For, for our black employees. And we're going to have a new one, right? I know. And I'm hopefully going to start one for queer people. We'll, we'll see <laughs> like in my, you know, vast amounts of free time. Um, but I'm just kind of curious as to like, do you think that there are lessons from everybody's now talking about the NWSL rather about the soccer, but about this moment, right? And it's not yeah. just about, the anthem. It is about these larger conversations, right? Like the anthem is kind of a distraction from those conversations because we're getting sucked into, does the anthem represent the flag? Does the anthem represent the military? When fundamentally, as you're saying, it's about how do we fight against dehumanization, right? So do you think that there's maybe a lesson here for maybe us at The Athletic, for, for people listening, like, I think maybe the lesson is just watch, watch them, right? But do you think that there's something that that people can learn from as sports are kind of having this very public part of that conversation? I would say that this conversation is no longer this one-way dialogue. The one, I think that's a really important lesson. Like, I wanted to hear from Rachel. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? Not... I, I I do look look. I know this stuff is like social media is social media, right? I understand, um, but I just felt it was unfair to go ahead and affix that sticker on her back, that post-it note on her back, without even hearing from her, right? Mm-hmm. So, I, I I think this the lesson is this needs to be a conversation, and for a long time it has been like this plea. That has fallen on deaf ears sometimes, you know, occasionally the, the ears aren't so deaf, but it's been like these people wailing from this place of oppression and dehumanization and hurt and nobody's listening. So 
now people are listening. And the truth of the matter is it literally affects everybody. Mm-hmm. Like I know it's a, it's a Instagram quote people toss around on King day, but injustice anywhere, just, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, anywhere yeah. affects everybody. Like, like it's lit. It's real. Like you and I have not walked the same shoes, mm-hmm. but we have suffered from literally the same thing. You know what mm-hmm. I'm saying? This idea that who we are isn't worthy of this level of respect and love and like, like you, you can't like stamp it out in parks. You know what yeah. I'm saying? Like, <laughs> like okay, yeah, but we got this out over here, but it's still blazed over there. Like you literally can't do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it it affects it affects everybody. Like it, it, it impacts everybody. So everybody's got to be in the conversation, and that's where I think this is why I think we can't leave women's sports and its and its life to capitalism. Like, we just, we can't do it, man. Like, it's not even fair. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, it's just, it's not fair. But also, at what point is educating people more important? Mm-hmm. At what point is inspiration worth, like, subsidizing? You know what I'm saying? Like, I I, I, I don't care. Look, I'm, I'm not sitting here acting like I'm out here watching every game. Mm-hmm. Like, don't, 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 I'm not that dude. Don't play me like that, right? Like, I'm not purporting to be this ride or die it's hard enough following you know what i'm saying yeah what i have to follow right but it shouldn't go away because i don't have the time to invest in Mm -hmm. it shouldn't go away because people like this more than the other and times like this is where you see the value like Mm -hmm. like i mean you know this conversation ain't gonna end Right. Right. Like right. this conversation is not going to end. Yeah. So we're going to need more leaders. We're going to need more talkers. We're going to need more people in the mix. Mm-hmm. We're going to need more moments. We're going to need more situations to help people drive it. Some people are auditory learners, right? Some people are visual learners and some people need some actual hands-on. I don't even know what the term for that. It'd be better for the whole three prong thing. If I get the word like auditory, <laughs> visual, I'm sure like on the job word. training, essentially. Yeah. Like yeah, hey, example. Yeah. That, yeah that learning by example. As well. You yeah. know what I'm saying? Like I, you can't be an orator. Like we got to have the third thing. I need to get my king on, figure that out. If you know what the third thing is, listeners, please <laughs> share with me. But like the, w- this message is, it's just too important. Yeah. And it's the idea of excluding women from the conversation in this forum because it doesn't bring in enough money. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. It's just kind of ridiculous. Also, the other fun part of this is that the games have been like ridiculously good too. So even from like a product point of view, right? Like yeah, yeah. we also got the television ratings in for the first yeah, game yeah. on CBS and 572,000 people tuned into the game, right? Like it's not, there is also value inherent in the product, but also I think women's soccer does provide a platform and also, you know, the fact that the NWSL is allowing players to do what they see fit, right? Like there yeah. is this freedom within the space right at the moment and the players are determined. They wanted the anthem played because they want the option to protest. Yeah. Now, uh, imagine the numbers if my Orlando Pride were playing. <laughs> okay, so you're, you're going to be an Orlando Orlando fan over? Oh, yeah. I, I, okay. I'm just going to tell you this. I'm going to tell you this. Wherever Sydney LaRue goes, I'm going. Okay, that's like, valid. That's just... That's bottom line with me. Uh, and then you throw in Marta, and then you throw in Allie Krieger, and then you throw in Alex, you know, uh, Morgan. Mm-hmm. And and I, I, I was doing my research and learned, man, it's somebody from Oakland. 
<laughs> on the oh, the pride. Let's see if you get this is a pop quiz. I am not going to get this because Come I, on. when I worked How at the league not- and had to look at everyone's bio- biographical information all day, every day I might have gotten it. But yeah, I'm lucky if I can name colleges at this point. No, come on. <laughs> I, I, I kind of believed in you. I kind of figured you would have it. But uh, uh, let me. I want to get her name right. I don't want to mess it up because I just learned it. <laughs> Aaron Greening. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah. Younger player. Younger player. So. Yeah. Aaron Greening. Yeah. And I also want to see what's what's the uh, the young Jamaican girl name? Oh, yeah. That uh, they I signed. See, yeah. I wanted, see, I wanted to see. I wanted to see her play. Yeah. Kanye. I think it was Kanye. Something like that. Yeah. yeah I mean, yeah. I definitely I watched her, her get play. drafted and then have lost it in my brain. So that's the joy of trying so, yeah, to cover. I was rocking with the pride. Yeah. Uh, I got to switch it up. Yeah. You know, I got to figure out somebody else now. I, I'm leaning. I'm leaning. Uh, I don't know who I'm leaning. You tell me. Who should I go well, with? Well, I was thinking that you were going to turn into a, a Portland Thorns fan since you also wrote about Simone Charlie. And then I know you're talking to Celeste Barre at some point soon. So Yeah. I just not. Yeah. I, I don't know, man. Oh, is Portland any good? Portland's pretty good. I'm bandwagoning, so I need, I need a team. <laughs> they've, they've got some injury stuff happening for them, but they're pretty good. I feel I, like I now we have team. to open it up for Twitter to see what sort of bribery efforts happen oh, I'm for you. I became a Tottenham fan because <laughs> Steve Nash like talked me into it. All right, so this is so, what we yeah. just have to, once this podcast gets posted, we're going to immediately then say, we're going to yeah, turn me out. <laughs> you know, I, I just know I'm leaning Skyboot. Okay, valid, valid. But Mallory's not playing. Huh? Yeah, she's hurt. She's hurt. But we did just yeah, have a feature on her today, so got to read that one from Hannah. Yeah. Hannah oh, that's right, Hannah. Yeah. yeah. So awesome. So yeah. Uh, who do they have? Uh, if you want some, if you don't know who Midge Purse is, that's going to be Midge. Yes. There you go. That's I'm on. There you go. There you go. All right. Midges with Scott. Oh yeah. yeah, we're on. Yeah, boom. That's my squad. Okay, there you go. So now we've. Okay, never mind. Twitter. Midges Sky Blue. Oh yeah, Midges Sky Blue. Now the whole time. Uh, she just got traded this off season, so that was oh, part okay. of the big. Say Midge wasn't on Sky yeah. Blue. Yeah, Midge Purse. Uh, Ifioma Anumanu's on that team. Amani Dorsey, like Kaylin Sheridan from Canada, should probably be Canada's number one starting goalkeeper. Like, yeah, they got some pieces. So yeah, all right. Well, that's what I'm rocking with. All right. Now that that's we've settled that, with. I think I can't go with West Coast teams, man. It's town business or nothing. Okay. You know what I'm saying? If you ain't from the Bay, then I'm riding against you. Okay. So no Portland. Dang it. Let me get my interview first before I start talking <laughs> that trash. So let's about to back out of my interview, but she from the Bay, so she kind of got to do it anyway. Yeah. Right? Yeah. All right. Well, thank you, Marcus, for taking the time to join us today. This has been a very, I feel like, both focused and wide-ranging conversation, which is how I love to have them happen. So, All right. I appreciate you having me. I'm about to go get in trouble. Okay. (laughs) So thank you to Marcus for the time. We can't wait to see what other tidbits. Now we know he's a Sky Blue FC fan, so I hope he feels the warm embrace of Sky Blue FC Twitter. Um, You can find him. I'll share his Twitter information in the show notes. Uh, here's one more thing, and actually I'm, I'm very much going to cheat this week, uh, but as I mentioned, we have so many stories happening that aren't by me about NWSL. We have a few coworkers who have really been helping to expand our, our NWSL storytelling this month, so if you haven't been reading these as they go up, like you're, you're absolutely missing out. 
Matt Pence, who's on the soccer desk with me, has been killing it on profiles. He's got one on Angela Salem from Portland, Sophia Horta and Bethany Balser from OL Reign. All three have been great. And then we've dragged a couple baseball writers into into this world too. Britt Groly uh, wrote about the culture change at the Washington Spirit. That's a great long read. If you're a Spirit fan, I would not miss it. I got Lindsay Adler to uh, go for a profile of McCall Zerboni from Sky Blue FC, another one to check out. And then today, Hannah Withiam, who's our WNBA editor and works on our uh, New York City desk, wrote about Mal Pugh. So really, we've got plenty of options for you if you're sick of reading my stuff. Uh, They have been absolutely killing it on adding to our NWSL coverage. So thanks again to Crystal and Marcus for their time. That's that's it for episode two of Full Time with Meg Linehan. I'll be back for another new episode next week. Um, If you liked the episode, obviously, please feel free to subscribe on your platform of choice. You can always follow us on the Athletics site and app. Uh, We're on Apple. We're on Spotify. If you really liked it, uh, the (laughs) initial reviews have been insanely positive. I super appreciate you all. But obviously, if you feel so inclined, um, rate the show, leave us a review. It helps us find new listeners. And For this entire run of the show, we're running a 40% discount. If you want a new annual subscription to uh, celebrate full-time our our coverage of the NWSL, you can sign up at theathletic.com slash full-time. Again, that's theathletic.com slash full-time. So you can also find all of my coverage on The Athletic. You can follow me on Twitter at It's Meg Linehan. You can get a sense of how little I am now sleeping thanks to the NWSL Challenge Cup. And judge me for that. Um, Our podcast producer is Michael Zimmerman. And from The Athletic, I'm Meg Linhan. Thanks for listening.